completed step one and step two at this point. I did get a lot of advice to try and get step three out of the way, but I, with my time and with my circumstances, I wasn't able to get my step three done. But, and this was all like, okay, between the months of graduating and then applying for residency, there was only a few months in between, but I knew I had to do something in that time where I can stay in touch with my clinical skills, where I could truly establish connections, where I could truly put myself out there and be known so these programs know who I am, given the fact that I can't go at this point in time, go do rotations in person and all that. And so I really worked hard in emailing programs. This is even before the application season kind of begun. I emailed If you are an international medical student or graduate looking to take your career to the next level by ditching the feeling of being overwhelmed and intimidated by the residency application process, you need the support and guidance that I have to offer you. And I want to tell you exactly how I can do that. I'm offering my comprehensive program that includes online coursework as well as cohort group coaching with community support to help you achieve your goals and succeed when you apply for residency this year. So my program is led by myself, Nina Loom. However, I do have other experienced medical professionals who've walked in your shoes and they understand the specific challenges that we as IMGs face. With my guidance and support and coaching, you'll navigate this complex process of preparing an application that attracts residency interviews. You'll also learn to build your network and gain the confidence and skills that you need to succeed. Free information like I provided on the podcast is great. However, the rubber beats the road when it comes to implementation. Let me hold your hand and walk you through a process that is guaranteed to bring you results. I cannot wait to see you on the other side. So join now at imgroadmap.com. The IMG Roadmap is the only podcast dedicated to coaching international medical graduates and success blueprints for this unique pathway. I am Dr. Nina Loom, your host, a previous IMG turned hospital medicine physician, healthcare administrator, speaker, and coach. I empower, encourage, and equip you with actionable steps that you can take towards the residency position of your dreams. Hello, guys. Welcome to another episode of the IMG Roadmap Podcast. Today's guest, I, it's been a while since we talked. Um, I remember we did a lot of back and forth when she was applying for residency, um, some coaching here and there with her. I'm so happy to finally get her on the podcast. I've been trying to get her on for probably a couple of years, right, Christina? <laughs> right sorry about that it's all good it's all good so tell the audience where you're where you're from and what you're up to of course hi everyone I'm Christina thank you so much for tuning in and thank you so much Dr. Lou for having me on your podcast we've been through a lot together I just want you to know how much I appreciate you um so I'm actually originally Lebanese I did my medical school. It was a UK medical school. And currently I'm a second year pediatric resident here in the States. Awesome. So UK meaning United Kingdom. Uh, yes, ma'am. So what I did is I did. So my school is based in the UK, but it was a branch in Cyprus. Okay. Okay. So very different pathway, right? Tell us some more. When did you graduate medical school? 
in that case. So this was a like a United Kingdom based medical system that was located in Cyprus. Is that correct? That is correct. And so I actually graduated in 2020 as soon as COVID hit. So you can see how, you know, there I had a lot of challenges um, during my process, which I'm very happy to share. But yes, I graduated 2020. My medical school is UK system based in Cyprus in Nicosia. And I actually did my last two years of clinical rotations in Chicago. So I had the chance to do two years of US clinical experience. Yeah. So it sounds like your your medical education was sort of, you know, meshed in with a little bit of the US system, a little bit of the United Kingdom system, and then the probably Cyprus system, I would assume. So was it like a seven-year program, a four-year program? How did that work? So I actually got I you know, it's almost similar to just an American system. So I did three, I did three years of undergrad in biology, and then I did four years off medical school. However, of course, UK system, you could choose to either do, you could just go straight from, from high school and do seven years and you can get your medical degree. Um, however, there are other, you know, programs that offer especially if you do have an undergrad degree that you could just go and do four years of med school and kind of take the U.S. system kind of route and then apply for residence. Nice. So another question that a lot of people are going to have as we listen in on your story tonight is, do you consider yourself a U.S. person, non-U.S. person? So U.S. IMG versus non-U.S. IMG? A hundred percent. That's actually a very good question. So um, I am a U.S. IMG. However, I did feel as though obviously having the U.S. citizenship does make things easier regarding visa purposes, but I still felt, and you can definitely correct me if I'm wrong, I felt that as an IMG, you're still grouped, you know, under IMG, whether you are a U.S. citizen or not. But of course, you know, there is the advantage of the not having to worry too much about visa purposes. However, I do have a lot of friends that are non-US IMGs that had great opportunities as well. Right. I, I understand that. Um, I think you're, to a certain extent, you're correct. The, the advantage of having a US citizenship is you don't have to deal with the added burden of visa right. problems. Right. Um, but then you still encounter the same sort of academic scrutiny that other IMGs with visas get. And I think even maybe to a heightened extent, because the question is, well, why didn't you go to medical school here? Um, Now, compared to those who are non-US IMGs, it's sort of expected that they wouldn't have attended medical school here, if you know what I mean. And so, you know, it goes both ways. They have the disadvantage of the visa, but then I guess the US counterparts would ask the question of, okay, if you went foreign, there must've been a problem, right? Like that's the assumption people make, but they don't realize that, going to a foreign medical school could also be a choice. Um, and that's a fair choice as well. Exactly. So, yeah. So walk us through sort of, you know, where you're at right now, what you're doing. For sure. So I'm currently a pediatric resident and pediatrics was my passion since day one. So I can't be happier. I love the people I work with. I love my program and I, every day I, I walk into work just so grateful to be where I'm at right now. And I don't know if it's, I bet it's due to many variables. One, due to the hardships 
and the challenges that I've been through just makes you a lot more appreciative and grateful where you're at right now. But at the same time, just being surrounded by such genuine, warm, welcoming group, it you truly feel like you're at home. And I'm currently a second year right now in Louisiana, and I'm very grateful again to be where I'm at right now. And I really, if there are anybody that's interested in pediatrics, I can probably talk their ear off. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I'm so proud of you for, you. you know, having made it. I I mean, there's so many conversations we had and I don't know which ones you want to talk about today or share, but I'll let you tell us a little bit about your IMG journey from 2020 onward when you really got dedicated to this process. For sure. I would love to share. And I really hope if I can at least inspire one person, then, you know, that that will be will be great. Um, and I'm sure a lot of other people have gone through you know, similar experiences, too. So so I went to a UK medical school and I did get the option to do two years of clinical rotations in the States. And I knew eventually I did want to end up in the States. And so that was the path I chose to take. And so I went to Chicago and I did two years of medical school in Chicago. And I actually prepared for my boards quite late, which obviously if I went back in time, I would have prepared earlier, but that's okay. And so I prepared for my boards later. And so that, so that means I couldn't really apply for residency until after I graduated. So one, I was a postgraduate Two, I was an international medical graduate. And three, it was in the midst of the pandemic when everything just all of a sudden turned virtual. So all of my plans of, oh, it's okay. I can just, you know, find a job, do research and program of my choice and then work my way in. Unfortunately, you know, all these doors um, were closed in my face. But I always think to myself, you know, well, if opportunity doesn't knock build a door. And so I, during that time, I worked really, really hard in establishing great connections virtually, obviously. And then I, you know, prepared for all my boards, got all my boards done. I only completed step one and step two at this point. I did get a lot of advice to try and get step three out of the way, but I, with my time and with my circumstances, I wasn't able to get my step three done. But, and this was all like, okay, between the months of graduating and then applying for residency, there was only a few months in between, but I knew I had to do something in that time where I can stay in touch with my clinical skills, where I could truly establish connections, where I could truly put myself out there and be known so these programs know who I am, given the fact that I can't go at this point in time, go do rotations in person and all that. And so I really worked hard in emailing programs. This is even before the application season kind of begun. I emailed program directors. I would really search their social media. I created a Twitter account. There's a large med world out there. So I highly recommend everyone to join Twitter because I connected with lots of residents, fellows, and program directors on that platform. And I also took a lot of courses to one, boost my CV and also just stay in touch with my clinical skills. And luckily, eventually I found a job at a pediatric outpatient clinic. So I worked there for a while. And then obviously, you know, application season came in and I 
I spoke, I reached out to you, Dr. Loom, and I, we had a mock interview together and I made sure I established all these interview skills and then applied for residency. However, you know, I, you know, you interview with all these programs and you find programs that are, you know, great fit for you and you're really happy and you have high hopes. And unfortunately, not everything goes the way you planned in life. And again, you know, that's okay. That's okay. God has different plans. And unfortunately, I did not match. So, and mind you, during that time, I actually traveled back home, which is Lebanon. So I was in a whole different time zone. I applied for match and I got that I did not match. I was very devastated. I was very upset. And I had to pick myself up and put myself in front of a computer and, and start the soap process. I felt that, you know, during that time, I felt isolated. I felt alone. I felt that all my hard work was just tossed out the window. It was a, it was a hard time. That's for sure. But I knew that I had to keep going. I knew that nothing could really stop me from my goal. I, I knew no matter what, that I wanted to do pediatrics. If it's going to take me a whole other year, then I was going to go ahead and do that. I just knew I had to do something differently since clearly it didn't, didn't work out this time. So I went through the whole SOAP process and I do have a few you know tips that I learned along the way, which I'll also be happy to share. And went through SOAP, SOAP, did not work out for me. And then I decided to scramble. And luckily also during that time, so after SOAP, you are able to now connect to the different programs and find, you know, look for different programs that have open spots and reach out to program directors. So that's what I did. And I reached out to my top choice program and my program director was very receptive. She replied to my email immediately. And Honestly, my email was more so like, look, like I love your program. I want to be at your program. Just tell me what I need to do differently. Mm. And I also, you know, was emailing to see if I can do observership since now I'm a postgraduate. So it's harder to get actual, you know, like rotations without being a part of a medical school. And so observerships, I had higher, um, I had a higher chance of getting an observership. And so that's what I what my focus on now is to try to find observerships in, in my top choice programs. And luckily, I during that time, I was able to scramble to my top choice prog program. And I came and just started my journey. So you make it sound so simple. Um, <laughs> if I remember right, it was not that straightforward, it right? Like not. I remember my phone with, from Christina and, and I enjoyed, you know, coaching and helping you during that season. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think the listener is probably like, oh, wow, what does she mean by soap and scramble? And what wow. does she mean by, you know, reaching out? What is she writing in these emails? So let's start with the soap. Okay. Because, you know, this episode is probably going to drop right around the soap time in March. And um, in as much as I may be you know, knee deep in trying to prepare to start my online program around that time, I get a lot of emails usually regarding the soap preparation. Um, can you walk us through what you remember of that, at that seed that those it's like three to four days that is just pure hell. But can you 
share with us maybe your experience and then what you remember from it so that people who end up having to do it can listen in and say, okay, I'm on the right track. And I know every year the NRMP changes something. So what we share on here, guys, may have changed for 2023 or 2024, but just some general concepts stay the same, which is what I'm asking Christina to share with us today. For sure. And yes, I did make it sound super smooth, but you're right. It it was not smooth. I tried to definitely summarize it, but there's a lot of tiny details that I, you know, took out details like feeling devastated, reaching out to so many people. It, it was a whirlwind, but, um, but I just wanted, okay. So let me just talk about the soap process and what I went through. So I actually received advice ahead of time that it was honestly, I felt was good advice that even if you have a good feeling about a program, even if you have a good feeling about the interview, make sure that you're mentally prepared that you may have to go through SOAP. And SOAP is this kind of supplemental program where if you didn't match, they will automatically allow you to apply to all the other programs that have open positions. And it's four days of, of hell. And you Basically, you'll apply, you'll send in your application, your personal statement, your letters of recs, and you wait. Basically, you wait and you wait for the program to reach out to you and tell you if they would like to interview you or not. And when you get that interview, you need to be ready. They'll probably give you two hours, three hours, and you need to interview for that. And then what happens is that you rank and then they will rank and then you'll know if they took you or not. And so another piece of advice that I have is that make sure you download all of your letters, not letters of rec, I guess, but make sure you have connections with the people that wrote your letters of recs in case you need them to kind of rewrite a, a different letter for you. Um, very quickly. Make sure you download your all your documents from ERAS ahead of time. That way you have it only because I don't know if it's going to be different this year, but when I applied, ERAS, your documents kind of go away or ERAS kind of closes at some point and you can no longer access these documents. I'm not quite sure the details of that, but I, I made sure that I had all the documents kind of downloaded in one folder. So when I needed to apply in, in, to different programs that I had everything ready. Um, the Another piece of advice that I have when it comes to SOAP. So I was back home. So I was very fortunate that I had my parents with me. I had my family with me, but I would definitely make sure that you are surrounded by people friends and family that can support you and even friends and family that are able to research programs for you to reach out to people for you that way you have you know you're able to kind of research more programs in a shorter amount of time and the other thing as well is that always make sure that you have backup personal statements I always had backup personal statements there is obviously a few programs that were my top choice and i and I knew that I had a personal statement specific for that program, but make sure that you have backup personal statements because in that time, you're probably going to be so heartbroken that you're not, you're not going to be able to think for you to sit down and actually type up a whole new personal statement. So I was so grateful that I had everything ready ahead of time. And also make sure that, you know, even during your interview season, that you save all of these documents, save all these questions that were asked. That way, you know, when the time comes, you have that already ready for you. And most importantly, just don't panic. 
I mean, if, you know, just set your, set your mind on the goal that you want and, you know, all the hard work that you put in will not go to waste. Eventually you will get there and we all take different paths. We all have different routes, different journeys, but we will all end up where we're meant to end up and just keep, just keep going. And I do want to add one more thing, uh, actually a few more things is that there are, I consider during my SOAP process, uh, there's something called like a transitional year. So that's a year that could be done in different programs. That is not a specific specialty. It's where you'll go and you'll do a year in that program and then you can apply to the specialty that you want. I tried applying to the transitional year, but I I didn't have any luck in that. I think I, during my SOAP process, I think I only got one interview, to be honest with you guys. And, um, and so that's, that was my soap process. Now, how I found the unfilled spots, and it's in a really hidden spot on the AAMC website, there's a tab that says applying to residency. And on that tab, there's something called find a resident. And that's where I actually found a few programs that had unfilled spots and I was able to send in my application through that. That worked out for me. I don't know if this is something that's being used currently, but that's something that I did did as well. And then obviously, you know, connecting with everybody, you know, through social media and, and just kind of word of mouth and putting yourself out there. Right. So let's talk about the next phase that you described, which was, okay, the soap didn't work out. Then you scrambled by virtually looking for the on-field spots that still existed and reaching out to them. It's what it sounds like to me. Um, how did you know that there were these spots that still existed after the soap would close? Right. So that was the tab that, so on the AMC website, there is the applying to residency, find a resident. It will include a list of places that had unfilled spots. However, the way I found out about my residency is that I just simply reached out to the program director. I was just so heartbroken that I just wanted to know, you know, what I can do. I wasn't even at that point, I wasn't even asking, you know, I was just wanting to know what can I do to be a better person to be to have a better CV to to be a better applicant and so I reached out for genuine advice and to show that I you know truly am interested and want to be there and if this doesn't work out can I at least come do some sort of rotation can I be a part of a research project anywhere where I could actually show my clinical skills and show because you know these programs have not met me in person so they can only see who I am through an application. And so I really wanted to put myself out there and then consider applying again the, the year after. Right. And so, I, and I, if I remember right, you were actually also reaching out and asking for feedback, like hundred percent. How, how, you know, how can I be better for the next cycle? And then in that process of communication, you were able to sort of scramble into an on field spot. That that is correct. And I actually reached out to a few people, even through Twitter. I reached out to a program director on Twitter, and I simply, you know, told the program director, "Do you mind if I ask for your advice? Can I send over my CV? Is there something that I could do differently?" And that person truly gave me very good feedback and a lot of things that I knew that okay, I, well, I could work on these things. For example, one of the things that I was told is, okay, so you are postgraduate and a lot of these programs, you know, they really want to see that you 
did something in that time that you maintained your clinical skills, like I was saying, maybe taking your step three, maybe truly working, let's say, in, in urgent care or working in a medical setting or even doing research. Research is also pretty big. And so I found that to be really, really great advice. Right, right. I, I agree. Um, and now when it comes to, you know, even reaching out, I want to point out something that you did, which is very important, which is asking for permission before, you know, entering someone's virtual space, right? I think when it comes to social media networking, we forget sometimes maybe because we have so many problems, so many things to take care of that we're not even thinking about what about the other person that I'm asking for their help? Like, how are they feeling? Um, and so I think, and on the flip side, some of us worry so much about how they feel that we don't even reach out. So there's a, there's supposed to be a nice balance between, you know, do I reach out versus not? And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, sometimes I would reach out and I'll ask them if I can continue to then send my CV for feedback, um, as opposed to, Hey, here's my CV. Can you help me out? You know, right. nobody's right. sitting at home, just waiting on you to reach out to them. But right. when you do reach out, keep it short initially, then ask a question and let them welcome you into their world. Right. Right. A hundred. I can't agree more that there has to be professional boundary and there should be some respect for the other person's, you know, privacy and personal life. And so, you know, I never went through Facebook. I never went through Instagram. I kept it very professional through emails, um, LinkedIn in a professional setting. If my LinkedIn is, you know, I would have like a professional profile and that's how I would reach out to people. And through Twitter, it was truly like the met Twitter world. And like you said, I asked for permission and I do, you know, I want people to feel that for me, it was very hard to come out of my comfort zone. Very, very hard. And I don't regret it one bit. And I, and people should feel encouraged to come out of their comfort zone, but to always kind of maintain that balance and professionalism. Right, right. A hundred percent. 100% agree. So let's talk about just general tips for pediatric residency application. Um, what now as a PGY2 about to be a PGY3 this summer, right. um, what are your tips for interested pediatric applicants who are IMG? What are we looking at these days when it comes to the world of peds? What's making people competitive? What are the pediatricians looking for? So it really depends on where you want to end up because it obviously differs. I do know that there are a lot of great programs that look at applicants in a more of a holistic manner. And that's what I appreciated from my program is they truly look at a person in a whole manner, like what you did, your experiences, you know, obviously your scores as well, but also the other achievements that you've done that make you who you are. And I do feel like, I feel like every specialty has now become, you know, a little bit more competitive, um, especially with, you know, there's not enough spots out there and so truly like again you know depending on where you're at it's every program is different I am in a community-based program so that's another thing that you know when when applying that I looked out for is this an academic institution or is this a community-based program I felt and again you know you can definitely correct me if I'm wrong that as an international medical graduate I felt kind of going you know, applying for a community-based program, maybe my chances might be a little bit better, especially that I did not have that many publications or research. And so I felt that kind of going through, you know, looking at community-based programs is what I kind of focused on. 
but, but there are obviously other great academic institutions too. And so, you know, what programs are looking at right now is truly, you know, your experiences. Okay, your scores are important, but they're not as important as who you are as a person and kind of putting yourself out there doing different volunteer, uh, you know, different volunteer opportunities in your community to show that you are you know, a part of the community. And that's big in pediatrics. I mean, I feel in a lot of programs, you know, you need to do a advocacy month or community medicine month to show that you are truly active out there in the community because children are a big part of our community. And so just touching on those small things. And the other thing as well is if you can vibe with the residents. So when I attended open houses and meet and greets, I truly felt that I could vibe with the residents over there. I, it's crazy, even though it's through a screen, I truly felt that these people are my family. And just that family vibe that I got. And that, that's another thing that, they look out for an applicant is can that applicant be a part of our family and so those are just a few things that I can think of right now yeah no I think being a part of the culture and fitting into the culture of a program is so important and I don't think people talk about that enough because each program has a cult and you'll hear where it's like a malignant program, a benign program. Well, we don't really call any program benign because right. all residency programs are challenging, but you hear where it's like malignant programs and then maybe some others that are not attributed with that. And there are very few malignant pro- programs in general. Um, however, it's important that you understand each program has a culture. They have a way of doing things. They have a style and the people that end up going there. Yes, they're usually very different. Each one of them but how they have some similarities. They have some traits that can mesh well with together. Let's put it that way. And so yeah, what we're saying is, doesn't mean that you wouldn't get into a program because nobody looks like you there or, or nobody went to your medical school there. However, your personality, especially when they see that through your personal statement and your interview, can really shed light on the culture that you would add to the program. And oftentimes people with a different culture ad are an asset. Because maybe they've never had anybody like you before. And that's something they're looking for, especially programs that are looking to become more diverse and are looking to be more inclusive. Um, you may be the culture ad that they're looking. So I think that that's a very key tip for, for people to remember, especially whatever specialty you're applying to, whether you're interested in peas or not, that's something that you should highly look A hundred percent. I couldn't agree more with that. Your diverse background is your biggest plus. You know, you can give so much to a program just from having that multicultural aspect. And so definitely be proud of that. I was very proud of my multicultural background. And I made sure that I highlighted that aspect because you could give so much to that program. Oh, absolutely. I, I'm with you there a hundred percent and one. <laughs> <laughs> Let's segue a little bit into um, just general advice for USMLE preparation. Um, and now step one is obviously pass fail. So everybody's kind of like shifted their CK. Are you seeing a big push for a CK score, a certain CK score for peds these, these you know, these uh, season? You know, um, to be honest with you, I don't know the answer to that uh, because a lot has changed since I last, you know, took step one and step two. So I don't really know, but I did from what I've heard is that yes, you know, there is a bigger emphasis on step two CK right now because of the whole pass and fail. But I 
I haven't heard much about that. So I, I don't think I'll be able to answer that question. And and I thank you for being honest on that. Um, I, I really appreciate that you are because instead of just telling us something that's untrue or you're uncertain about, you're telling us you, hey, not my forte and we'll move right on. So what are your final tips for success? What's your mantra? What keeps you going? What kept you going actually during those difficult months of not matching, soaping, not soaping, and having to go through the scramble. Um, what was your push? What was your drive? So I'm I'm a very faithful person. And so God was my biggest drive. I just knew that this was not it for me. I just, I knew all that hard work I put in that it was just not going to go away. Even though during a very low time in my life, I had a lot of doubts. I had a lot of thoughts that, well, you know, is this even right for me? Is this what I'm meant to do? But just something in me, I don't know if it's, you know, the mantra that I always go by is like, don't fear failure, but fear not trying. So I was not going to not try. And so I knew that I was going to, even though I was giving it a hundred percent, I felt sometimes I was giving it 110%. I was going to go ahead and give it 200%. I was just going to keep going, keep trying. Cause I just knew in my heart that this was not, this was not it. Like it just doesn't stop here. I worked very hard this is my goal. This is what I feel like I'm, you know, I'm meant to do. And so and I feel that God was just not going to, you know, just keep me in this situation. And I, and obviously having my family around me, having my fiance, just pushing me and having those people around me that love me and support me. I felt that, okay, you know, I can do this. I, I'm going to give this 200%. I'm going to wipe my tears away. And I'm going to keep trying. The worst thing that can happen is that these doors are going to shut in my face, but Hey, I'll just make a new road. I will open a new door. I'm just going to keep going. And I knew that, okay, if it's not going to happen this year, that's fine. It maybe will happen next year. It doesn't happen next year. It will happen the year after that, as long as I don't lose focus on my goal. And I feel that's, that's what truly, truly kept me going. And, you know, I'm a person, I don't know what people who don't believe in God do. Like, I, I don't know how they handle the stressors of life because life can mess you up really bad, really quickly in a very short period of time. And I just want to stop and just plug in here that, yes, we don't follow God um, because we want rewards. We follow because we believe that he created us and made us in his own image and we're supposed to be on earth for a season. However, um, and really for worship, right? For worship to him. Right. However, because of that faith and that belief, there is also rescue for when things are rough because suffering is part of our human existence. And for some of us who feel the calling to become physicians, our suffering sometimes can look like that purpose not being materialized, that calling not coming to fruition. At the time when we th we th look at you, I'm so proud of you for listening until the very end. And because of that, you deserve a reward. And I want you to go right now to drninaloom.com and download any of my free ebooks, whether it's for electives or clinical rotations, or even just whatever trials come your way as you navigate your IMG journey. Stay tuned for another episode coming up next. <laughs>